Hello, and welcome to Dispel Magic, the podcast where we overthink how the magic of D&D might shape your campaign setting in surprising and unexpected ways. I'm Benjamin, game designer and writer. My name's Dane. I'm a DM, podcaster, and voice actor. What do we got on the show today, Benjamin? Today we're going to be talking about the spell Plant Growth. Oh, very cool. Is it? Yeah, very hippie. Very, very, yeah, yeah, grassroots, literally. There you go. I, this is a spell I don't know how often I've seen in play, partly because I actually, I feel like it's a very druid focused spell. Very druid focused. And if you don't have a druid in your party, you're probably not going to ever see it get cast. And I've definitely run games with druids. I don't think I've ever played one, or at least not in fifth edition. I don't really have a lot of experience seeing this in play. What about you? Yeah, I love plant stuff in games. Vines and growing, and I'd say Druid is maybe one of my favorite classes to play. So yeah, I've used it quite a bit. I really love it for its versatility. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can can use it in in combat, but it also has a lot of fun implications narrative-wise. Not just in the spell description, but I I feel like a lot of times DMs will kind of give you license to grow plants how you wish to make something cool yeah. happen you yeah. know so it, it's not always just the nitty-gritty mechanics of it but it's also have have some fun for, for once sure. in this life yeah. just let, let it, it yeah let it happen for sure what's the plant's name in little shop of horrors um that's uh, audrey too Okay, right. Yeah. I was thinking Seymour, but that's what Audrey, that's the name of the main character. That's what Audrey mm-hmm. was talking to. Yeah. Feed me Seymour. Feed, feed me. Feed me, me yeah. Feed that, me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So this spell does not create Audrey 2. Unfortunately. So I bring that up for no reason at all. Um, <laughs> I'll cut that out. Yeah. Dane, why don't you tell us a little bit about the spell? I'd be happy to. Plant growth is a plant growth is a third level transmutation spell available to bards, druids, and rangers. It takes either an action or eight hours to cast. It has a range of 150 feet. Its duration is instantaneous, and the spell text says this spell channels vitality into plants within a specific area. There are two possible uses for this spell, granting either immediate or long-term benefits. If you cast this spell using one action, choose a point within range. All normal plants in a 100-foot radius centered on that point become thick and overgrown. A creature moving through the area must spend four feet of movement for every one foot it moves. You can exclude one or more areas of any size within the spell's area from being affected. If you cast this spell over eight hours, you enrich the land. All plants in a half-mile radius centered on the point within range become enriched for one year. The plants yield twice the normal amount of food when harvested. So there you go. A little bit of a little bit of uh, mechanics, a little bit of flavor, a little bit of uh, combat, a little bit of role play. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I definitely. Cannot yeah. be argued with. While you were reading that, actually, I thought of something I don't think I wrote during the notes, but we'll we'll kind of get into that, I think, when we talk about the expected uses. When we're looking at the expected use of this, I think the first thing, uh, Dane, as you mentioned, in combat is that you're, you're probably using this to slow the advance of enemy melee fighters. 100%. Or, or to box creatures in to follow up with an area of effect attack. But one thing I hadn't really thought of too much when I first looked at this is that you're probably also... So, I think 
normally that that caveat about how you can exclude certain areas mm. from it is normally meant to let your people move within the right area, but but still hinder the enemies. But I was also thinking you could make it to create a lane of movement. Oh, to to funnel someone to get enemies to like specifically move to that direction. And then drop an AOE, like a lightning bolt down the Oh, that sounds clear great. Path. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it seems like not the most obvious, but when you give it a little thought, it seems like it would work most of the time because most enemies are going to want to not spend four feet of movement to move every foot. Of course. Yeah. They're going to try and get to that lane as quick as possible. Right. Yeah. I, I've definitely cast this spell many times and got to say, I blanked on that particular part that there's kind of a spell shape aspect to this that is very cool then there's the other way of casting it which is eight hours and dane you mentioned you've you've played a lot of druids and that you've cast the spell a bit i don't think i've actually seen this version of the spell in play before have you i've let characters use it before i've got a group right now who's trying to undercut a particular merchant in town by flooding the market with food Mm. So that they go out of business. So they've leased some land and I'm letting them use this eight hour casting time to enrich the land and then using plant growth to make the plants grow very quickly. So I'm doubling it up a little bit, but uh, essentially letting them grow crazy tons of food very quickly. Yeah, I guess I never thought about how you might cast them both. Yeah, if you do it twice. Both versions. Yeah. Then you're getting you're getting all the food you need. Very quickly. I don't know if that's the rules as intended. No, but, it, but I think you. But I think you could read it that way. And and that's exactly how I'm yeah. reading it and letting them read it because yeah. it's a lot of fun. It is. To it is fun. Yeah. <laughs> see them do that. The eight hour thing also seems like a really the altruistic side of it, where you've got a struggling village, starving village, and this kind of fixes their problem for a little while at least at least a year yeah when years will get you through a lot <laughs> it'll, it'll get you through a whole year it's <laughs> a good way of putting it <laughs> thank you succinct it's like a bargaining chip it's a narrative boon it's something you can promise you know moving into some unexpected uses we've already kind of labeled one version of casting it as a combat thing and one version as a roleplay thing. But I think when I started thinking about some unexpected uses, that I don't think that that's totally accurate. That one action casting that creates overgrown plants within a hundred feet of a point. That duration for that is instantaneous. It's not concentration up to a minute. It's you cast it, that happens, and it's there. And it's just there. And it doesn't have a time where it stops being overgrown like that. Mm -hmm. So as far as I can tell, if you wanted to... You could fortify a whole, like if you wanted to keep a village super protected, you could just make a couple lanes in and out of town and otherwise protect it in this huge overgrown. This bramble. Yeah, bramble. So that, for instance, if mountain bandits are a problem, you just create this huge bramble wall and it takes you four or five castings of the spell to do that. Yeah, you, you spend a day, you spend a couple days and, and you've completely help this town out with any defensive things they need like that i guess ultimately that's still combat related but it's not like immediate in the moment it's more it's an extra defense that you can lend to any kind of institution or community that you're trying to form a relationship with i'm thinking of if you're fortifying a castle maybe yeah. you have a keep and 
you know you're going to be under siege pretty soon. Then, And even hallways, you could do this to a hallway so that essentially shuts down that hallway from being used yeah. uh, effectively. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Now, I had a question, what, what you might think. Do you... Th- believe that there has to be plants there in the first place or do you think it's just plants come from everywhere there for sure has to be some kind of plant life because otherwise you could cast this in the middle of the air very true and that's like a weird thing to imagine that all of a sudden there's just this blob of like vines suspended (laughs) in the middle of the air from nothing if there were like really tall trees i would let it affect you know the air vis-a-vis the trees Okay. I think there has to be at least an area capable of plant life on its own, Mm non-magically. So in in a hallway, I guess you'd have to maybe spread seeds first and (laughs) cast it on the seeds so that they take root in between the the cracks of the stone or something. Yeah, I know. I mean, if it's a stonework building, there's probably moss in it already. I mean, so, you know, it would just kind of depend, I think. I mean, obviously, this comes down to DM discretion. I mean, they could say yes or no to anything. There's like moss and fungus in modern homes. So like, I'm sure it's very present in old buildings although that's really disgusting to imagine like moss and fungus being so overgrown in a castle that it takes four feet of movement to move even one disgusting yeah pretty stinky i would imagine too yeah we talked about using this to protect communities this is even more true in like an arakra community or any other kind of D race that has wings because you can just completely surround the place in totally walled off things and then you can just have people just fly in and out of the village to come and go most medium-sized creatures have a movement speed of 30 feet and if you're gonna walk through that much you're moving seven feet a turn so (laughs) you'll be it'll take you forever to dig your way through this and that's plenty of time for this community of flyers to spot them and start doing something about these intruders probably kill probably kill them probably kill them i mean we're we're in dungeons and dragons after all yeah so flying folks for sure you talk in the notes also about cultivating particular kinds of plants this way in defensive and potentially offensive ways yeah so there's a couple steps to this the first is that if your dm will allow it there are various poisonous plants that you could grow using plant growth and usually poisonous plants things like uh, poison oak or stuff like that aren't immediately harmful but later on will will prove to be harmful to the person yeah just really sucks right yeah yeah there's that that you can do but then on top of that if you want to do something really really truly evil um (laughs) there are plenty of plants i I imagine poison oak is like this um but there are other plants that this would be true for too where the poison if it's set on fire will go into the smoke like the smoke will be poisonous Jesus. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so, since plant growth makes this a really overgrown, dense area, if you also have a way of quickly setting it on fire, then you've got this massive cloud of poisonous smoke that people inside will certainly have to inhale. You're not just smoking them out, but you're putting them down for the count. <laughs> um, permanently, yes. Yeah. That's one of those things where there's not like rules for that. <laughs> Really? I guess you'd make constitution saving throws or something to avoid being poisoned. Or I think the player's handbook has really generous rules for how long you can hold your breath. So <laughs> probably people would be doing that. But then again, with how much you slow people's speed using plant growth, you might even be pressing how generous of a time length you can hold your breath. 
Ben- Benjamin, how much experience do you have with spicy peppers? Are you a spicy guy? You like I spicy love, stuff? Yeah, I love spicy stuff, yeah. All right. I um I have a particular recipe of chicken that I like. I like to call it Cholula chicken. And uh <laughs> just really quick, it's um I cover some chicken in Cholula and then I cook it. Okay. And when that is cooking, mm-hmm. generally people can't be in the house. Okay. Right. That makes it's sense. Pretty it's a pretty spicy time in the air tonight when I'm making my Cholula chicken. So perhaps you get a lot of these uh, pepper plants. Right. And you start yeah. burning up the peps. There are probably quite a few plants that release stuff that like chemicals that would blind you basically while right. you're going through it. Yeah. Hilarious. It's, I mean, it's yeah, it's just one of those one of those interesting spells where they're looking at D&D from this very like the designers are, are looking at it from this very specific context of expecting things to be taken very literal maybe or not really worrying too much about edge cases but plants can do all kinds of things and when you can have them grow really quickly and even like around your enemies plants are so cool yeah you can do a lot of messed up stuff so it it makes me think of a character concept you're a turtle and your shell, you keep all the sprouts that you'd need for different things. So you'd have a little bit of poison oak here, a little hot pepper here, maybe a little grasping vine here. And then, you know, you litter those things around you and you use them offensively in this way. So you always have some sprouts with you, a little bit of dirt, and, and you go to town. I think this turtle should be life partners with Stu the Halfling from the Bag of Holding episode. <laughs> Yeah, it just so, seems like they would go well together. Good partnership. So Sprout the Turtle and there Stew the Halfling. Um, I think Sprout the Turtle might be they them pronouns, and okay. they'd go around making the ingredients. Stew's making the stew, right? Slow cooker. They're a two person chuck wagon. It's great. <laughs> it is great. Yeah, I'd, run, I'd like to run into those two. I would too. Holy cow. Hey everybody, Dane here, just wanting to say thank you for all the support you've given us through your downloads, your messages, tweets, and of course, sharing the show with others. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow, along with you rating and reviewing Dispel Magic on whatever podcasting app you use. Benjamin and I would also like to invite you to pledge to our Patreon. You can vote there on future shows, receive weekly show notes, access monthly secret shows, and gain access to our patron-only Discord channel. Thanks again for listening, and as always, happy spelling. Oh no, Penchiman, are you doing math again? I I have done oh, some math for geez. this episode. It's kind oh, of hard boy. to do an episode of this without doing math. Didn't think of that when you when you came up with the idea did, for the show. I did show, not huh? realize how much math I was going to have to be doing. That's kind and of on you, the, buddy. And yeah, no. And I tweeted something very embarrassing about this one. I, I was I was way off by like multiple factors of 10 Great. Uh, when I first did this math problem. And then I asked on Twitter and somebody completely embarrassed me. And then now I'm fine. As you should on t- Twitter. That's where you want to do it. When you cast the spell using the eight hour casting, that's going to cover 502 acres per casting. So that means a fifth level spellcaster able to cast the spell working 16-hour days, can cover at least 28,148 acres 
in 28 days. Obviously, this grows quickly if you start adding in more spellcasters. So it was very difficult for me to find a reputable source on how much acreage you need to feed a person for a year. From the research I was able to do on this, it seems like one or two people per acre per year was a pretty safe bet. So if you can double that, the amount of food coming out of an acre for one year, you're suddenly feeding three to four people, or two to four people, I guess, instead of one to two. That means, I mean, it, it's, as people, well, I don't have anything to do with farming. Dane, you don't have anything to do with farming. Probably, I, I, not the last time I checked, no. Probably most of our listeners don't have anything to do with farming. But if you can imagine any given major metropolitan area requiring half the acreage to produce food that's a ton either a ton of land you free up or if you use the same amount of acreage you suddenly got this incredible abundance of food so i i was trying to wrap my head around exactly how much twenty eight thousand acres is uh it's it's not quite as much as i thought because the acreage of rhode island one of our smallest states in the united states is 788,000 acres. So this this is not a necessarily a small state, but it is a sizable chunk. I'd say at least a county. What is that? Like a 16th of Rhode Island then that you're turning into like over a month? Benjamin, a six, you do, you're turning you're doing, a 16th of You're doing math again, man. I And this 16? is off the cuff too, so I don't even it's know. Off the top of like, your head. It I, might that might be very wrong. What was that a fraction? Were you doing a fraction there? God dang. I I can't keep up. What I'm trying to say is I have no idea how much that is, and it's a lot. Well, I'm glad we spent time <laughs> on that. Um I'm trying to I'm trying to pull a freakonomics where, you know, make it make it a little more accessible. The numbers, for sure. the big yeah, for abstract sure. numbers. And and what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is I failed at that. Yeah. I did try to look up, I think, some major cities to find out what the acreage of major, major cities is, but it's very hard to find that information in acres. Square miles, no problem. Acres, nobody is telling you. Nobody uh, cares. How much, yeah, nobody's saying how many acres New York City is. Actually, what's the Rhode Island number again? So it's 788 state acres, and each state acre is 1,000 acres. So Rhode Island is 788,000 acres. 788,000 acres divided by 502. Okay, yeah, you can't cover all of Rhode Island in a year. Hold on a sec. <laughs> With that acreage for Rhode Island, if you had four druids casting the spell once a day, you would cover all of Rhode Island in one year. So all it would take is four druids That's it? to make all of Rhode Island That's produce all? double its its yield in produce every single year. And that's not even counting houses and roads and places that aren't even growing food. We could just dedicate Rhode Island to growing right. food. We could eliminate Rhode Island from the map and just make it produce basket land. Oh, man, if only. Rhode Island, the new California. Do people think of California as a big place for produce? Yeah, man. 80% of the world's almonds come from California. We're going to be cutting a lot of this. <laughs> oh, yeah. California, if it was its own thing, was its own country, we'd be mm -hmm. like the fifth highest GDP in the world. No, I know that. I don't know how much and that has to do with produce. And a lot of that is produce. Is produce. I, 
think that's probably not accurate. How much protein? Oh my god, is grown in California. California's uh, our, uh, agriculture abundance includes more than 400 commodities. Over a third of the country's vegetables and two thirds of the country's fruits and nuts are grown in California. Okay, all right, that, that's pretty compelling. I'm convinced, I guess. Damn yeah, right. so move move over California. Here comes Rhode Island. Here comes New California. <laughs> anyway, East, East California. <laughs> yeah, we call it California East. All the druids who went there uh, are from California, obviously. Right. So we can stop with the math at this point. Thank God. Because uh, I think the point has been made at the, made by now. I'm so tired. Um, so basically, with the spell, you can facilitate either massive population growth, fewer citizens dedicated to farming, or some combination of those. And even though we're kind of specifically thinking of it in terms of agriculture... This is also true on wild areas. Foraged foods become a lot easier to find. I'm thinking of a lot of like specialty items that you can't really grow. Uh, morel mushrooms. I grew up with morel mushrooms, eating those, and those are like super delicious mushrooms that you that you can't farm. Um, you can find them in California after wildfires, and you can find them in certain times of the year uh, in the Midwest. But once that season's over, they're gone for the next year. With this, you know you get double that it, it would really make even rare ingredients much more common so you're taking the bottom out of the apothecary market yeah i mean you're really messing up a lot of the economy because you're reducing the need for farming labor so so you're messing it up in that way and if you're not doing that you're flooding the market with food uh which is going to lower the price i would imagine of pretty much everything else and in combination with certain other spells, <laughs> teleportation circle, you've suddenly got like even rare ingredients from across the world are in abundance, like basically everywhere. I was talking to somebody on our discord about this the other day, and we were discussing what effects this would have. And I also think over time with this um, abundance of food, population would steadily start growing. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There'd be a lot more people. I think that it's interesting to think that, you know, now that there are more people and there's maybe a, a bigger middle class from this as well, mm-hmm. then education becomes more important. People right. have a lot more time to focus on things that aren't growing food, right? right. So so yeah. you've got arts, you've got education, mm-hmm. you've got innovation in technology and sciences right. and and the arcane you know so yeah. having this abundance although wasteful you can't control the amount of food that's being produced well i get by by what you're planting but in the wild well one thing that's really interesting is that it also introduces a vulnerability if someone starts targeting the druids in the area or people stop going to druid school then all of a sudden, the land is producing half as much food as you're expecting it to or that you planned on it doing. And so if your population is built up based on the idea that all the local farmable land is under the effect of plant growth, and then all of a sudden it's not, it's going to have a really devastating effect on that community. So that kind of um, extols uh, druids to a higher status. Suddenly the the humble nature lover is integral to a society's propagation. You could have rock star druids. 
<laughs> yeah, I guess you could. Um, yeah, you could have rock star druids. <laughs> I think we often talk about the economy, or that's an easy place to take spells, is to take like how they would affect the economy. What they at would least do for it. us, it is. Yeah, I don't. I don't know about most folks, but well, we love right, talking sure. about. <laughs> okay, this spell has a really profound effect on ecology as well. Mm -hmm. I mentioned casting it on uh, wild places or places where you would forage for food rather than just grow it. While that would be great for, you know, getting morel mushrooms, it could be really, really bad to cast that or, or it could have unintended consequences to be casting that in wild places because let's say you go into the woods and cast it using this eight, eight hour version and all of a sudden everything's producing uh, twice as much food and you keep doing that for whatever personal reasons you have maybe you're the druid protecting that region and you think it's good to do that rockstar druid right you're yeah. a rockstar druid yeah do a line and then go out and you just trash cast a hotel yeah, room. you trash, trash a hotel, a hotel room, room and you spend and then... eight hours casting plant growth what you're going to eventually do is cause the herbivore population in that region to explode mm -hmm. which you know eventually causes there to be a boom in the carnivore or predator population. It's weird because while the spell, when you're thinking just one tier away, is going to have big impact on the human population, when you think two tiers away, is going to start to have this huge effect on the animal population, which then impacts the human population or the humanoid population. Because if there's a bunch of bears, wildcats, and predators, like wolves and other predators in the area, it's going to start to make the region really dangerous, which is a funny effect of this spell that's not immediately obvious, no. that you can make a region very dangerous by just casting the spell a lot and then a, the, it's a domino effect yeah it's and then a, yeah a, and then make you know what it is it's the circle of life rockstar druid i was trying to think of a jurassic park quote but there's not a really life life I, uh, yeah no i mean that's yeah life finds uh, a way right it, it, the line is life finds a way no i know but it just felt like now that's chaos. There's the that there's something about that about chaos. There's something the, in there. Yeah. The other thing I was talking to the person on Discord about was it'd be fun if with this spell, different restaurants specialized in particular foods, and they had a druid on staff that grew their food extra delicious. And so you know we have celebrity chefs, but. There'd be, we have the world famous druid on retainer to grow our mushrooms. And that's why our dishes are such and such. Just kind of a fun story beat. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's really cool. And and I have no reason for my mind to have gone here with this. I guess maybe it's just the magic mouth conversation bleeding over into this. Uh, but it makes me think of apiaries. The honey produced by bees is heavily impacted by the flowers that they're getting and probably other plants that they're getting pollen from. And so using the spell, druids could really easily experiment with different combinations of flowers or different kinds of pollen and the flavor of the honey that it produces. I don't know why I think about honey so much, but I do. It's I delicious. Even, I don't even use it that much. I, I'd love to. I love the idea of using honey. It's, I don't know, that's a fun place, like, right? Like yeah, a, like yeah, a yeah. Like a druid-owned apiary. You got a, like a little honey farm going. Exactly. And, and they're talking to the bees. They're making they're making spicy honey. They're making minty honey. They're making medicinal honeys. Wink. Yeah. Mead. And also, hey, let's not forget about the mead, shall oh, we? I, I thought that's what you meant by medicinal honey. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Wink. That's Dane's medicinal honey. <laughs> I think that also having 
on a more kind of lighthearted note, mm-hmm. I think that having this amount of plants in the area, this amount of biodiversity, it would also make for some wild harvest festivals, not just yeah. the flower crowns and the wheat has come in, you know, it's things would go nuts in these towns. That's true. And, and, you know, we talked about how it would reduce the need for farmers, but actually, I guess during harvest time, it would increase the need. The sudden the seasonal work would. That's a really cool idea to have. And, and I mean, I guess every region already does have their own like different take on harvest festivals. Like mm-hmm. we've got Gilroy around here that's got garlic festival. And where I grew up, there was a sugar maple festival. So like oh, every every town and region will have their own version of that. But yeah, especially when it's this abundant, you can imagine that that produce or the local produce becomes like even more iconic to that right. region. And then you'd get things like the... The clothing would reflect that, you know, there'd Mm -hmm. probably be a lot more iconography of of these different plants. So whatever city you've got going, suddenly the plant life becomes interwoven with the culture to a point that just because it's ubiquitous, there's there's freaking plants everywhere. Lousy with plants. All the plants in the town would be growing this amount as well. So your house plants would go nuts. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a really good point. (laughs) I don't, I don't know how common houseplants were <laughs> in the time period that's generally... I think in this town, pretty common. All right. Fair enough. I'm going to go off script here oh, and... No. yeah, and, Benjamin. And do some spitballing that probably there's like food people out there who could tell me a little bit more about Foodies. this. Foodies. Foodies. Yeah. Love them. You know, the produce we have in, in supermarkets is a very small sliver of the actual edible food available to us in the world. I don't know how much I would be aware of this, except for that in the house I grew up in, there were these trees down by a creek that were pawpaw trees, and they they were they grew pawpaws. And nobody else I lived around even knew what pawpaws were. And they were they were like a green fruit, maybe about the size of half a pear. And when you eat it, it's got first of all, it's got a very tough outer skin, not pleasant to just bite into. You want to cut that off, but it tastes like a banana with more sugar. And I imagine there are tons of fruits and vegetables that are delicious, that are so hard to grow that they don't become mainstream or popular. Interesting. Right. So suddenly there'd be all of these more esoteric fruits that are readily available. So people would have exotic or atypical dishes all of a sudden. Right. Yeah. Access to these things that you wouldn't think of. So the pawpaw is one specific thing that I grew up in that like not a lot of people I've ever met have heard of or have have tasted. And I doubt that it's regional to Ohio where I grew up, but it's interesting to imagine all different like flavors in the world that we might never have had because it's just not easy enough to produce it on a mass scale or marketable enough to produce on a mass scale for it to make sense to do. The pawpaw is an ugly fruit. It is not a good looking fruit. Obviously, people have uh, shunned the almost peanut-shaped, <laughs> lumpy green pawpaw fruit for its uh, just unesthetic values. It's, well, so first of all, I also think that other fruits' evolutionary line, I guess, has been dictated in part to be more visually appealing to humans. Mm-hmm. Not the pawpaw. Not the pawpaw. The pawpaw's a little more raw. Um, Yeah, okay. okay, I am looking at Google images of it now, and it is... It's lumpy. (laughs) It's lumpy, and there are some weird spots on it, and it doesn't look... Like a green rock. 
I will tell you that I enjoy the flavor of it, at least as a No, child. it looks delicious. I had to eat the heck out of one of these, but I'd also throw it at somebody who I didn't like uh, with the intention of, of beaning them in the head. Yeah, well, they were quite hard until they were totally rotten. Well, they were, there was like a brief window of like a couple days where they were ripe and not rotten. But Oof. anyway, the point is, it's too bad that we don't live in a world where plant growth happens because I would love to taste all those fruits and vegetables that we can't, that just don't make sense for people to produce in mass that might really expand our culinary horizons. Yeah. So we'd have this crazy town with overflowing house plants, lavish restaurants, highly fortified farmland, and rock star druids walking around like they own the place. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. I mean, I think the final point to make about this spell is that what the spell does is so vitally and fundamentally important that there's no way the government is not responsible for hiring and maintaining a staff of spellcasters who cast the spell on their kingdom. This, 100%. I mean, this is like way too important of a thing, even if nothing else to just they have a shitload of dry rice or whatever in case there's a famine at some point. The reserves, putting food in reserves, it's important. I agree wholeheartedly. This is the coolest spell we've done yet, and and thank you for choosing it. And thank you, listener, for listening to this episode of Dispel Magic. You can find us on Twitter at Dispel Magic Pod. Benjamin, where can they find you? You can find me at Sterling Vermin or at SterlingVermin.com. And you can find me at Dane in Danger on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again after your next long rest. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Dispel Magic. If this has inspired any ideas for your game, or you have another take on today's topic, please let us know on Twitter, at DispelMagicPod. You can find Benjamin, at Sterling Vermin, and Dane, at Dane in Danger. Thank you to Slim Mittens for our cover art, produced by Benjamin Huffman, produced and edited by Dane Fox McGraw. Mm-hmm.